This is the Tournament Talk Podcast, where your hosts, Tyler Childs and Sean Sinclair, are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world, save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything. Welcome to another episode of Tournament Talk. It's Tyler Childs, attorney boss here in the Atlanta International Airport. Um, It has another name, but it's Atlanta International Airport. We're going to go with that today. I'm sitting here at gate 27 um, with Brennan St. Jack from Aichi Hotels. Kudos to Brennan. He is our first returning guest on the Tournament Talk show. He's on a previous episode at our sponsorship conference in October. And, you know, we're just finishing up uh, an event here at IHG headquarters and we're heading back to Canada. So just going to introduce Brendan here. He's going to give you a little bit of uh, what's what on what he's about, where he's from, how he got here. Uh, Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tyler. So happy to be here again, chatting with you. I think it's fantastic that you have this podcast and I look forward to uh, many more uh, chances to speak with, uh, with you and your audience. Um, so where I started as a young kid, uh, we lived in Singapore for a while and traveled around quite a bit. And I just thought, how cool is the hotel industry? Big flashy hotels, movie stars, athletes, all sorts of cool people coming and going. And sure enough, uh, as in Canada, you got to sort of pick where you want to go and what you want to do in university in grade nine, grade 10. And I found this really cool hotel and food program at the University of Guelph. And I thought, this is it. This is my calling. I'm getting into the hotel industry. Went through the degree, struggled around working in some uh, different food and beverage places. Worked at Wonderland for a while, flipping funnel cakes. Found out that that wasn't for me. So I bounced around a little bit and eventually landed my first uh, hotel job at the Delawana Inn in the Muskokas. Worked front desk, worked, worked the reservations, Got my first taste of sales, uh, was actually asked to come join the sales department, but had no idea what it was and turned it down. <laughs> so after that, floated around and worked at the Radisson Admiral in downtown Toronto. I worked for Delta Hotels corporate office before it was bought by Marriott. Um, and I would say it was Hotel Indigo where my first love of sports came. And I realized the potential to fill a hotel on a weekend. Um, there was a challenge because it was a boutique property. So there's only certain certain level of athlete, I guess, that a, the GM would allow in the hotel. Um, but I remember as part of that process, we actually took took out a bunch of king beds and flipped them over to two queens to help accommodate some of that leisure guests and you know build that traffic on the weekend. Left there, went with Delta, and that's when I really dove in. Delta had some cool partnerships in the sports space and uh, really, really saw the potential there. Left and uh, have now been with IHG for almost seven years, um, always worked in the sports market. Um, and as of four years ago, uh, through some changes that happened, I landed a role where still living in Toronto, still living in Canada, um, but managing our largest sports housing companies, um, in both the U S and, uh, in Canada. Well, that's fantastic. I didn't know all of that. So now I've got a digital copy of, of, of your resume. That's <laughs> pretty good. So, I mean, it, you know, we were, we were here in Atlanta this week at, at, you know, the America's headquarters here. Uh, she just going through 
some of the the different opportunities and you know IC being proactive how they can can service the group better and how their brands can fit in and then educating us on on what's happening with the brands what's changing and you know it's interesting to talk about indigo because that was in one of the sessions today and we're just talking about the opportunities and then some of the gaps and it's really good to connect those dots but you know it comes from years and years of experience of seeing different things and being in different spots and you know it's about putting minds together to fix some of that stuff so it's it's really great opportunity to be here um you know you you do a wonderful job supporting our team um and and many others on on some of our competitors but you know we're we're here today you know in this airport we want to kind of turn our focus into one of the you know interesting components of of the the dynamic between our organizations and that's uh room pickup and it's such a, a hot button topic for so many different reasons and you know it's one of those things that you know i i believe there's some myths around it and i thought that'd be a really good thing for us to talk about today so you know i'm gonna throw it back to you here and kind of put you on the spot a little bit but what is it that you know from your perspective you you believe the biggest reason or reasons for room pickup not matching the the expectation or or in some cases the promise uh, of of the glory and revenue that that can come with a block contract. I mean, right off the top, sports business is huge for a weekend. A hotel is is booked throughout the week with corporate travel. That weekend comes, um, you get that sports opportunity that comes in, and you're blocking rooms, you're setting rooms aside, and you're excited. People are getting bonused on that. It's good extra business. You're going to start to grow your rev par when you fill that space. You have that contract set up, and for a variety of reasons that we'll get into, um, you know, those 30 rooms that were contracted don't pick up. You know, maybe the hotel had a chance to resell that, make up some of that revenue. Um, but I, I can't always say, you know, there's all, it seems like there's a whole bunch of different reasons on why that is. Is it that, you know, there was over contracting for a certain area? Was the tournament director promising something to the housing company as far as a room night perspective? And it didn't, it didn't happen. Um, you know, was it the hotel? <laughs> was it the wrong hotel for the program altogether? The location was too far. Um, you know, maybe if they didn't have a swimming pool, there was other, some key, key other aspects that weren't there. Um, so I don't know. What, what is the truth? What is it? <laughs> well, I don't know that there's a truth. Uh, let me start there. Because, I mean, there's so many variables in this conversation. And I think one of the things that we, we try to talk about a lot is that it's, it's a moving target. Right. It's never it's never one spot all the time. You'd like it to be. And as the event becomes sustainable and it reaches that long term expectation, it certainly does become more attainable and more more certain. But ultimately, the earliest days are are not always, you know, uh, green and bright, you know, sunshine and rainbows is what I like to say. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's a, a couple really significant reasons that that blocks don't realize I think the first one and probably the most common industry-wide is over-contracting, as, as you alluded to. And I think that comes from a couple different things in experience. And that can happen on both sides too, right? So you take a, a market that I'm really familiar with that is definitely not a summer destination. And th- what sometimes happens is sales directors throw the book at you because they know they're not going to sell it all. So they just give you everything. And then they're like, why didn't we sell it all? And we go, because we told you we weren't going to. You decided to give it to us anyway. So here's the email where we said, 
don't do this, right? Um, and so, so sometimes that's a two-way street, the contracting. Other times, um, I think it's it's could possibly be an oversight. Uh, it could be a missed projection on uh, whether it's the housing company or the tournament company. Uh, you often see the tournaments have uh, pie-in-the-sky type projections. You never, ever see them say, hey, we're going to be for sure this. And hopefully we get to this. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever heard a tournament director give me the floor uh, of a projection. And then, you know, good for them. I mean, they're optimistic and, you know, they're, they're on a sales mission to, to fill up the coffers of everybody involved. Right. But, you know, sometimes it, that's, that's a big disconnect. And the whole coaching component of that part is a whole episode we could do on its own. Um, that, that for me is the biggest one. So, so there's kind of, 1A and 1B mixed in there, right? Because you have the contracting piece, which um, definitely could miss the mark, uh, whether it's, you know, a lack of uh, education or research into how many is actually going to pick up or whether it's just uh, taking the word of, of the tournament director, that, that's, that's kind of the first one. Um, and then kind of off of that, the second one is, how are you getting your projections? And, and are you using industry knowledge to set those blocks, right? So if somebody says, Oh, we're going to have 500 teams. Like, yeah, it's probably 300, right? Like, you know, it's very rarely do they reach the, the capacity that they predict um, unless they have a long history. And the ones that do will have proof. And those are the ones you can take to the bank. But those, <laughs> those are few and far between, as we all know. And ultimately, that's that's the biggest battle on on the housing side. But I, I think the the other thing in the variable that I spend a lot of time talking to hotels directly about is this when it comes to teams today versus even five years ago and indefinitely 15 years ago, you have a lot more broken families, right? You have a lot more groups that travel uh, in unique patterns, right? You have a group of 15 that really only needs nine rooms because six of those families pair up into three rooms, right? So all of a sudden you're, you're cutting down the block size and, and it's, you know, there's lots of data that we have and, and other companies have that predict team size and have a general idea. But at the same time, if the coach is like, yeah, we normally take 15. And then on that particular weekend, oh, we have these parents staying together. Well, no one can control that, whether it's the hotel setting that block or or the housing company or even the tournament director. Like, no, no one really has control over that. And that's, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions is you know, it's, it's kind of a thing that's out of all, all parties control with the exception of the team. Right. And, and I think that's the great variable that no one can predict master or control. Uh, you can try your best to get information and data and make sure you're making accurate decisions, but it's extremely unlikely to get it right. And you just do what's best. And I think that is the one myth that I think is always pushed onto the housing company. And I think ultimately uh, you know, it, it's not the housing company, it's not the tournament, it's not the hotel. It's just the unpredictability of this group segment. And I think that's one that gets missed a lot. Um, and, and then the other part of it too is, uh, I think a lot of people in the group space try to do their own thing. And I think they think they're saving money and they're definitely not over time. Sure, you might get one room here cheaper and one room there cheaper. You might have a a hotel that needs to make budget and will will undercut a rate, you know, two blocks away from the host properties. You know that that stuff can happen, um, but it impacts the overall market and and the rates that 
are driven in that market and ultimately ends up costing them money. But that's that's a piece of that puzzle that's just lacks education. I think would help solve some of these myths. Um, and that's where I think sharing data between organ our organizations could help, you know, maybe potentially pave some of those pathways forward. And I think there's some ideas around that, but um, those are the big ones that that I think happen more often. Um, and I and I think the 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 piece of the puzzle that is often mentioned from all parties is well, the housing company should have solved this. Well, guess what? There's just, there's three other parties with all having variables of their own, and our job is literally to solve for those variables, right? So, you know, like any good equation, it's not always the easiest model. And so that's the challenge. And I think that's the great myth um, is that the housing, it's always the housing company's fault. And, and that said, sometimes it is, right? Like there's, there's situations where uh, mistakes happen and or inexperience gets in the way. Um, but I, I, I think it's less than most people think. So with all that said, is there anything that, that you think in there that there's some truth to, or do you think there's anything in there that, that you disagree with? I mean, you brought up a really good point with the, uh, you know, the broken family, and I and I almost want to just use my myself in that conversation because I, uh, my uh, my parents split up pretty young, um, and for sure when I was traveling, since that point they never traveled together. It was it was always separate. So I could, I could see that being a piece to it, and um, the other part too is each team that goes to compete, it's going to be a different scenario. So the expectation, like you said, is probably always going to be 15. Like that's the perfect scenario. Um, but there's going to be all sorts of variations and combinations of things that will happen um, that don't go all that way. But I, I, do, I do agree that the open communication is key. Um, the discussion around the data and sharing that information is just absolutely crucial. And that goes, that goes two ways. That's the hotel being available uh, to speak with a housing company. It's the housing company being available to talk about pickup and how it's going. Um, I think it's important that there's some level of relationship with the hotel and the actual tournament director as well. And, you know, a piece of history, um, long-term relationship there. Um, so there's a lot of different things. I mean, again, because there are there's so many variables, it's, it's hard for me to even pick one thing over another of, you know, why that happens. Um, but the more educated you are, the more you know on the market, the more you know about the sport, the teams, the type of tournament, I think all that knowledge is extremely important to to help with that block and seeing good pickup. Well, and, and I think, you know, the, sh the communication is such an important piece. And I know we were here for this event last year, and that was one of the things that I had left as a recommendation was, you know, for the hotels to get out and learn about the tournament. And I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle, um, but I, but I don't know that they have to get out and know. I, I think there's there's a you know a responsibility to both the tournament and the housing company to share their message, what they're after, and what they're doing. Because I mean, there's multiple different ways the business can come together in terms of it. It could be a you know uh, a community based event that has a little more. Uh, emotional components built into it and it's not necessarily a huge room night driver uh it might bring some and, and enough to move the needle but then there's other ones that are just volume events right and they're they're driving huge volume and that's their job is to make money and and they focus less on that 
emotional component. And I think sometimes that's where I think the hotels get a little bit spurned because, you know, they look at it and say, well, you're, you're just holding us hostage. Right. And so I think that's the one component to your point that I really like is that, you know, it, it's about understanding the goals, right? It's about learning about the other side of the coin, what they're after, why they're after X, because I think most times there's also a, a bit of a lack of understanding as to where the revenue is going in a housing company situation. Like we, we get that a lot, like, oh, well, you're keeping all that. No, no, it's a partnership. And, you know, I think that's, it's less common that conversation today than it was at some point in the past, but um, it still happens from time to time. And I think that's, that's another myth that, that comes in is that, you know, ultimately the hotel is, is doing the work of the housing company. And, and I, I talk about this a lot, you know, why, why, if you're a hotel level, why are you doing the work? Why are you paying a tournament or why are you paying a housing company to do it? If you're then in turn managing all the phone calls, the cancellations, the questions and changes and all that fun stuff that happens in between. Um, I, I think that's one of those other things that frustrates a lot of hotels and I don't blame them. I'd be frustrated too. And that's why we challenge it on our team, uh, to really make sure we're pulling as much off their plate as we can. And, and again, sometimes, you know, this is where I'll push it back onto the hotels because I think sometimes they fail to reach out and say, okay, what is it that I do at this point? Right. And, and then from our side, I think as an industry, we've done a poor job of just having that foundational. This is the process from start to finish. And, and I think it, the hard part for the hotels is that ultimately there's, there's different groups that do it differently. And ultimately that makes it tough for a hotel to just understand exactly what they need to be doing because it, it varies slightly. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of situations. And again, it brings us back to that one word variables. And, and that's the piece of the puzzle that I always say, I'm talking to an owner. Uh, one of the things that I like to talk about is, well, look at it from a cost perspective, right? Like, you know, especially a limited service property more like it's, it, that's the perfect fit um, is because limited service has limited staff generally. And you really want to have, you know, either a, a DOS that's stretched across three properties and super gassed, like handling these things. No, like give them the Friday to Sunday off. Like we'll hand it all to them. And that's, that's again, back to that point. Like it's an extension of your labor team and, and it requires that level of partnership and education to get that trust. And I think that's the lack of that trust is, is part of the issues that we talked about per, before, because I think a lot of those myths happen out of people wanting to conceal their side and, and maybe a hidden agenda of, of creating new revenue. Right. So I, I think those are one of the big things. So I guess the, you know, you work with a lot of different companies uh, in, in your role. What do you think the biggest thing that when you're talking with a hotel to try and facilitate a new opportunity and or make sure there's a consistent pattern for for an organization like ourselves like what is the the most common thing that you find is is missing at the property level in terms of an understanding of of our side you know you touched on something really really good and i think that there is not a piece of information available that maybe shows what a housing company is, what they do, what they don't do. And again, you mentioned it, it probably, it's probably going to vary from um, uh, company to company. But I think uh, that's my takeaway. That's my takeaway from today's conversation is really to demonstrate and show what it is 
um, that a specific housing company, what they do and don't do. Um, that's my biggest takeaway. And I think that that's going to help a lot of hotels and try to clear that piece up. Um, but yeah. No, and I completely agree. And I, and I think it's, you know, part of why we started doing these, these podcasts as well is because we recognize that as well, that there's just that, that gap, right? I think, you know, our partners that we've worked with for years and years and years and the markets that we go back to time and time again, appreciate, you know, the effort that actually goes behind the scenes when they get to know us, when they get to know how much we care about their business. Right. And I think that's the thing that is, is, you know, grossly misunderstood and underappreciated. And, and I think it's, it's one that to your point is, is part of that, that conversation. I want to skip that waiting period. I don't, I want that trust to be right away up front. Um, the good housing companies that we work with, it should be right away. It shouldn't be a, a, a period of trust building over several events. It needs to happen right away. So I think that's where that type of education piece should help kick it off right from the start. You know, this is, this is a good partnership. Um, let's close this business. Well, I think it's one of the things that we talk about with our, with our hotels is we try to, to tell them both when, you know, we think it's going to be bigger and when we think it's going to be smaller. Uh, and, and when we tell them like there's certain events that are new and growing and they don't even know what they're going to be. So our job is, is very tricky in that conversation. And it leads to that over contracting potential, uh, because it, it's a guess, right? Like you work off of what the standard is. You work off of what the venue capabilities are in terms of team volume. And then you have to try to predict, you know, the proximity of teams coming in. And, you know, that's a really complex formula and no one has it figured out like uh, you can't tell me that there's a formula out there right now that exists that can predict that um because you know depending on the way the wind blows and what other event failed and succeeded in three markets over it all impacts that outcome and, and i think that's part of that trust is that i think you know a lot of the hotel side says well they, they should know um you know uh, we'd love to know right and, and we work really hard with our tournament partners to try to get it as accurate as we can. And I think that's something that, you know, I think is really, really important piece of the puzzle is that that's, I think what we should all be striving for is how do we solve for that? And it, it's, it takes a lot more research than anyone's done to date. And I think it's a, it's probably a 10 year project to be honest, but I think it's one of those, those conversations that if you don't start it, it never, it never gets solved. And, and so, um, one of the things that I'll, I'll ask, because I think it leads to a lot of these problems, is what role do you think technology plays in closing these gaps? And do you think it actually closes those gaps? So I'll definitely admit that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And we have revenue management tools that are available for us to help yield uh, rates and demand in a hotel and how big groups are. I can't even begin to understand what it is, but I, I, I know enough that it's changed the industry, that the technology piece that goes into revenue is extremely important. Um, specific to this segment, I think the addition of technology has only strengthened the segment and it's definitely created some real leaders within the industry. Um, and I just seeing it continue. There's a lot of tech pieces that are common in other types of group segments. Um, but sports has generally been a little bit slower to progress there, but it is happening. 
And it's definitely an important piece um, to this segment. Well, and I think one of the things that I like to try to get to the bottom of is, you know, from, from your side, like there's definitely predictors of yield and, you know, growth and, you know, trends, right? And I think that's, that's great on property. And I think where, where that gets misunderstood is what happens when you're trying to predict it across seven or eight brands and across 25 different properties, right? So yeah, cool. It's easy to take a really small piece of that sample and, and deliver that idea. But, but again, leading back to the bigger topic is how do you do it across multiple brands and multiple properties? And I think that's, that's the thing that I don't believe has been solved for yet. And, and I don't know that um, there's, there's a piece of technology or a formula out there right now that can. Uh, I think we can start collecting data and eventually come to a conclusion or at least a, a semi-predictor of what we're, we're getting at. Because, I mean, even, even the data you guys are using right now is still a predictor. Right? It's not an exact science, and, and nor should it be, right? Because there's plus and minuses all the time. But, you know, I think that's one of the things that I, I'd like to see is, is a push towards, towards bigger data um being relevant across multiple segments and um you know from that i guess the additional question i want to ask is this so from a a housing provider side and from the tournament's perspective technology certainly helps things but on that note does technology actually slow that trust building that we were just talking about because instead of the, the traditional phone call hey brendan how you doing it's a, hey, Brandon, I need you to do this, send, right? And does that impact it from your side? Because I, I think there's a disconnect. So I'm interested to hear what you have on that one. Well, if I take it back to the start of our conversation, talking about uh, block pickup size, I think that technology can lend a hand, yes, in helping to predict some of those things, but the data is probably not perfect. Um, I do feel that this industry, uh, the hotel industry as a whole, uh, does still have an old school hospitality component where a phone call, conversation, sharing of a drink still goes a very long way in this industry. And I feel hard to say that as a millennial who grew up in a world of technology, but there is definitely that aspect of a phone call goes a long way, a relationship, a meeting, um, in getting what you need or building towards something greater. Well, and I, I love hearing it from a hotel is saying, well, we just love that you picked up the phone. Pardon? I mean, that's, that's an expectation on our team that, that we make calls to answer hard questions. And, you know, I think the thing that I don't like about the industry moving forward is that so much of this automation that's supposed to make life easier doesn't solve for people, right? It's, it's not a real people equation. And ultimately hospitality is, only about two things people and the experience and yes there's money to be made and there's business practices within all of that but you know ultimately i think the people component for a while here although revenues have been good uh, across the industry I, I do think the people side of it has been forgotten and you know we talked about it a lot this week inside of your brands a lot of them are moving back towards you know a more customer centric brand experience whether it be community-based or um, just a consistent experience that you know you can sign up for with a, f a different flair for each part of the travel community, whether they're, they're business, travel, or sport, or you know, just general transit or whatever. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see that evolution. And I think 
the the biggest reason for it is is I think we're trying to solve for people again. And and it gets me excited because that's that's what travel's about, right? Like, you know, you can argue that's about food too, because I think I think we can both sit down and eat a meal if we wanted to, right? Um <laughs> I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Um and, and I think that's you know where we're at as, as a as a community of travelers right now is is that we're in a millennial group is a big part of that because I think you know where people look at the the millennial group as antsy or unappreciative or spoiled or whatever they they believe the, the the perspective is I think the reality is we want one of two things we want a deal or we want a really good experience and I think what's eroded is that in between. We don't want an in-between. We want one or the other. We either want the cheapest product or we want the best product. And and I think that's, you know, kind of carrying out where I'm coming from on this conversation is I think if you push that into the greater scope of society, I, I think that's where technology gets in the way. Because I don't believe as much as like a UX design for anything digital these days is such a huge component. I don't believe that it's something that people walk away from anything going, you know what? That was a really great booking that I just had. You know, like, I don't think that's a real thing, but I do think the other side happens, which is that was a bad experience and I hated it. I don't want to do it again. Like that part's for real. And, you know, when's the last time, you know, you've called and booked a hotel over the phone, right? That's what I mean, right? So there's a gap there. And I guess that's one of those things that I think, you know, some of the problems that we all face in this industry now are the result of that. So, you know, do you, do you see anything that, you know, we haven't covered um, so far that from your side of the fence is maybe on the horizon and or a focus internally? Jeez, that's a big question. That's a big one. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about food. I want that big meal. <laughs> um but I, I mean, I'm going to have to echo the same thing, and I'll I'll use the example of um, the meeting that we had here at the uh, at the headquarters, and we could have easily done a WebEx presentation, had different brands in, maybe a couple of hotels, easily done, could accomplish a few things. Uh, but it's the relationships that we've built during these past few days that that go a long way, and I I could even right now be having my you know my head down buried in a laptop crunching emails, but I'm here chatting with you. And uh, that that human connection is so important. And I do travel quite a bit, like I'm sure many people, uh, uh, your audience yourself, you know, you, you travel quite a bit. And it's those little random interactions with people in the hotel, out at events that you remember and you tell those stories of. And that human connection is just so crucial. Uh, you know, even for myself, a lot of people, um, are now moving towards a, the work at home uh, type setup. I, I work from home and I really do miss that, uh, that human connection. And it's something that I look forward to when I get on the road and, you know, whether it's talking to the, the check-in agent at, for, for a flight, uh, grabbing a coffee, the Uber ride in, it's, it's so important. So now the big question, the, the direction or the way the industry is going, I, 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 I have to say that, you know, technology is, is going to continue to play a part. Um, I think that the sports segment as a whole is going to continue to grow. It's just going to get bigger. New editions of sports, people competing. We talked about the esports experience uh, today. I, it's here to stay. There's so much money already invested in that, that even if it started to fail, 
with the amount of money that's in it, it's just going to continue to go. People won't want to back down at this point. It's got too much momentum. Um, but hey, again, that's uh, a technology platform. It's a non-traditional sport, but they're selling out arenas. They're selling tickets to go to an eSport event more than anything else. And the reason why, they don't want to sit at home and watch it with Twitch. They want to be with their friends and interact and share and have a laugh at the same time. So that part is absolutely crucial. Um, but I mean, overall, I'm excited about this segment and it's going to keep me employed until the day I die. And I'm going to end with one last question because I think it, it kind of plays off of what you just said. So my hopes for technology, and, and it's something that we focus on internally, is that what I want from technology in our industry is that it actually frees up the people to have that people component again. That's what I want. And, and what I don't want is people to go away. Because to your point, arriving in an Uber with a friendly driver, getting welcomed at the desk, having that positive onboarding experience to your, to your eventual experience uh, is, is a huge piece. And I, and I think technology allows us to do that better, not limit, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I saw a funny meme just recently about Walmart and saying, you know, hey, you can't be angry that I didn't scan all of my items properly because you didn't train me, <laughs> right? And so that's, that's alluding to the, the checkout systems that are automated, right? And, and I think there's some real truth to that statement, right? And I think it's, it's a very dangerous direction that we're on saying technology can solve all these problems. And, and yeah, is, is there some, some people out there that maybe don't help the experience? Absolutely, right? We've all experienced a bad customer service experience at some point. And I, and I think that's the thing people want technology to eliminate. But I, but I think it creates more negative experiences because it becomes less human. It becomes more, um, uh, what's the right word here? It becomes a little bit lonelier, I guess, maybe of yeah. an experience. And, and, I, and I think the, the outcome's the, the opposite of what we're after. And that's why I asked the question because from, from you know, the brand side, you know, when you look at the people that are in in and on your team, don't you think that that's what your brand stands for? And and if so, are, are we are we cognizant of of how technology impacts their life in a positive and or negative way? So, long winded question, but do you see technology making the the customer experience better? through people or do you think eventually the design is to move away from people servicing people have got to be there people still have to be part of the conversation and i i think the part where technology can play a role is if there is something repetitive um and maybe i think of just a simple example of uh, back when i had uh, google mail and you had that sort of canned response you know those emails that you're going to be typing out same message over and over again banging your head on the desk that you have to do it you know, now, yes, you can have that text pop up and send that same email. So that, that frees my mental space to be a more pleasant person and want to interact and be with people more. I, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that's, I, like I said, I hope technology gets us to that spot where we can really love it again um, and really love that experience. The brands are certainly being designed to set that stage. So now I just want to see the people part of it come through after that. And I'm excited about it. So I think that's a great spot to end off. Brennan, I really appreciate everything this week. And also for you spending some time here on, on the Tournament Talk podcast. 
Um, for all the listeners out there, be sure to pay attention to what IHG is doing. They've got some great things happening in their company. Um, they really understand the sports segment. And, you know, we certainly love and appreciate everything that they bring and do for us. And Brandy certainly help our team out. Um, we have nothing but good things to say about you and your team. So thank you again for everything. Uh, it's been another episode of Tournament Talk here. We'll see you next week.